scripture reading for today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For what, for whatever makes manifest is light. I'd like to have Luke read uh, the scriptures before I get up here every every time I get up because he turns off the light before me. And that's one last thing. That kind of threw me off because that was the first thing I was going to do was turn off the light. But uh, send the light, let it shine. And I want to thank uh, uh, Frank for leading us in that song. Uh, and I also want to thank Luke for that scripture reading that we just read. And uh, that's really, uh, we don't normally really sing that song with what we're going to be studying today, but it certainly is uh, fitting. As you see, we're going to talk about the five points of Calvinism. When you see an ism then, it's usually a false doctrine, and that's what it, that's what it is. But we're going to see just how prevalent it is. And as we read Ephesians 5 and verse 6, uh, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. And, uh, of course, that sounds great. They may sound great. It might sound believable. But don't be deceived by uh, that because the wrath of God will come upon them. Verse 7, it says, do not participate or be partakers with them. Uh, that is, don't have fellowship with them. But what do you do in, instead? You walk as children of light. And uh, that's our mission is to walk in the light. Uh, in verse uh, 9, uh, the fruit of the light is in all goodness, uh, help others to see what they ought to see. And that's really the job and the mission of every Christian, to the best of our ability, to then uh, compare the teachings that we find in the world and in denominationalism. And Calvinism is uh, uh, really predominant in, in the most uh, beliefs, but we'll see that a little bit later to what uh, to what extent uh, and and uh, so we are going to be coming in contact with people who are involved in either all these five points or some of them and we're talk I have a little bit more to say about later but it says uh, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but rather expose them that's what the light does we are children of light and as children of light we are to expose uh, the doctrine. We're to do so as we looked in the Bible class today that the uh, Apostle Paul was, uh, was preaching. And, of course, uh, there really was kind of a riot going on around them and uh, people getting stirred up. But as far as the uh, Paul and whoever uh, else was teaching there, uh, they taught in an orderly manner. They're, they weren't part of that riot. They were proclaiming the word. It caused a riot. 
but yet when it got down to the bottom of it, that they didn't really do anything wrong. There wasn't anything to put them in prison for as they were not part of that. And so that is our spirit today is to be able to uh, talk about these things and compare this, but yet do it in a spirit of love, realizing that really that is our mission to uh, to spread uh, the gospel and to expose uh, uh, the darkness uh, and uh, have all people come to light. And uh, verse uh, 13, then, but when all things become visible, they are exposed to the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. That is the fruit. Uh, that is the fruit that we will have is everything comes to the light. So the light is the light of God's word. And you take the light of God's word to any teaching and expose it. And if it's true, the light will shine upon you, the blessed gospel light. And uh, if, uh, if not, then it will be exposed. And then if we are part of it, we will want to change and uh, only to uh, teach and practice the truth. Just some scriptures to go along with this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so the question is, are there religions that are not according to Christ? And of course, if we see all the differences, somebody is not following Christ. And uh, and says all but one is not following Christ when you... We really analyze it and get down to it as we understand it as, uh, as Christians. And uh, so if uh, we love Christ, we would want to warn people. We want to discuss and hold the light of the gospel and compare it with the teachings of men and uh, expose that uh, in, in, to the light. In... Uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. And of course that phrase is repeated. And so we have the obligation to only preach what uh, what is we find in the Bible. Even if Paul, uh, even if an angel or Paul taught something different than what was revealed to him, and passed on to us and written for us, then uh, we're not to listen to even Paul in that situation. And so uh, anything contrary, then that is going to be a curse. It's going to be then uh, uh, the wrath of God, as we read in verse uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, no, one more scripture. Uh, if 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse one twenty. One and uh, verse 21 of 22, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So we are to, to give careful examination. And uh, that's what we want to do today is to examine these things carefully. It's going to be a critical examination of um, these things. And the five points of Calvinism, it, it, it forms the word acrostic word tulip and uh, so the first is total hereditary depravity we'll explain each of these in, uh, uh, in the lessons to come and uh, unconditional election limited atonement 
irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. And so some people today, we're going to see that this was hundreds of years later. But this, this is when this was developed back in the early 1600s. And uh, we want to uh, realize that this is not just some random, isolated things. These all stand or fall together. Um, in other words, if you find that the first one is true, then the other ones are also true. They stand or fall together. Not all people believe all of these things, but they stand or fall to, together. In fact, uh, one Calvinist wrote it this way. They are interrelated so that they form a simple, harmonious, self-consistent system. Now, although that um, it is flawed, Calvinism is flawed, it is logical in its parts. They either stand or fall together, and that's the opposite side of it. Then you take one of these and prove them to be false, you'll take all of them will be false. And so there is the upside uh, if, uh, for those who love the truth uh, in this. And so most people in religion do not really subscribe to every one of these points, as I mentioned before. Even the Calvinist will admit that there are different shades of Calvinist. You can probably say that about anything. There are different shades of this or that or the other. And, uh, well, you can, you can find some uh, uh, different shades of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And so there's one shade in the light of the gospel that has the truth. And, but yet there are different ones. There are not everyone in the church. I think we would all admit that that uh, is, is a saved individual. Uh, and uh, we want to look at then some history. Um, why study history? Well, we'll see some reasons why in a moment. But we're going to look at very briefly uh, Augustine. Uh, John Calvin, uh, Arminius, and the Synod of Dort. And all of these play a role in how communism or <laughs> Calvinism came uh, into being. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7, it says, uh, um, uh, we are, we are uh, why do, should we study this lesson, this deal? So, uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your fathers, and he will inform you. Your elders, they will tell you. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your fathers. Ask people, wh- whoever. Ask people in history. Uh, it's either going to be true or it's either going to be false. We can learn from either of those. Uh, and in Job chapter 8 and verse 8 through 10, please inquire of past generations and consider the search, the things searched out by their fathers. So we have relatives, uh, all of us have generations, uh, people in the past uh, that believe different things. Uh, you, you search out all of that and see well, what, where's, where's the merit or if it's or not the merit. In uh, verse 9, For only of yesterday yet know nothing, because our days of on earth are a shadow. In verse 10, Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? So we can learn in past generations. For an example, uh, in Restoration history, 
it, it is a study. It's when the church of Jesus Christ grew in this country. Uh, it, it was showed how some people came over from England and Scotland and they were over here and some were over there. And they, got, they were teaching the same thing. And they were far apart. And then you see the what you call the restoration preachers and the movement in the 17, 18, and 1900s. And what they preach. There's valuable lessons that we can learn of what caused the church to grow uh, so rapidly uh, as they were a rapidly growing uh, church in that time. So uh, we are told to study history. Uh, history repeats itself. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. That which uh, has been is that which will be. And that which has been has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. It just takes on different forms and different looks. and But it's nothing new. It's been done before. Uh, you know, there's some new technology. But how it's used and this and that. It's nothing new in the character of and the way man uh, man acts. Um, learn lessons uh, lessons to be learned. Uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, we usually use this a lot in reference to the Old Testament. Uh, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. But the one that really probably applies more to what we're studying right now is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of the other. So um, we learn not to go beyond what's written. When we see something that's not written in the Word, we don't do it. We don't go beyond that. We don't go beyond that and teach something that's not in the written word of God. Um, and uh, so why, why do we study uh, Calvinism? Well, there are some reasons, two main reasons. To remain faithful to the truth ourselves and to teach what God's word teaches. First of all, let's look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Here, as a result, we are no longer to be children, talking to uh, Christians, each Christian, Ephesians, tossed here and there by winds uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. When you get into this little deeper and deeper and deeper, I mean, there's some really deceitful scheming going on. And and it, it's trickery. Uh, and this word Trickery comes from the word dice playing. And what do you do if you want to catch a, a, somebody that's cheating on dice playing? Well, you got to know the tricks that they use. you got to know how the dice are loaded, for example, or how they throw out certain numbers in a certain way. And, and, and 9 out of 10, it will come up to be those numbers that uh, are uh, uh, good for them to have in, in order to win the game of uh, dice playing. So what we do is we find out what the other people teach. What do what do the the enemies of the cross? What does Satan deceive them with? 
in order to help teach out, teach them out of it and point them to the Word of God and not let them twist that scripture that we go to and they have a whole different take on it, you have to know the scriptures. You have to, you have to know that. And so, uh, the, the, in order to catch them at their false uh, things. Because it sounds good. It looks good. Uh, we've all had salesmen that would point us to certain things. Oh, boy, that really sounds good. Then you get home and look at it and look at, check out their competition and different things. I said, well, that doesn't look so good now. Well, that's the same as uh, true with, uh, with, with this. Um, and the other reason, then, is to teach God what God's Word teaches. So we're going to stay faithful in the truth. And 1 Peter 3.15, we're all familiar with this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you uh, to give an account for the hope that is in you. Somewhere along, there's going to be a person asking you, yeah, but what makes you different than anybody else that's out here in religion? You have to be able to make a defense, and that's where we have our hope is in the truth and everything that the written word has uh, taught us and teaches us and continues to teach us. Uh, you always heard this say, I think Chris or football players would like this, the best defense is a good offense. And uh, so this is what we need to know. We need to know what God's Word teaches, and that will help put up the defense uh, for the truth and uh, not uh, for error. Uh, we're going to now look at uh, so the history and leaders. Uh, so we saw the importance of studying history. And now let's look at uh, Augustine. He lived in 354 to 430 uh, A.D. Uh, Augustine is one of the first ones. Um, human, uh, I'm going to read what he wrote way back then. Human nature has been so completely corrupted by Adam's fall that no one in himself has the ability to obey either the law or the gospel. Divine grace is essential to those who God predestined to eternal life before the foundation of the world. The act of faith, therefore, results not from the sinner's free will, not from the sinner's free will, but from God's free grace which he bestowed on the elect only. Now, he said a lot right there. But that became the basis for Calvinism, as uh, we'll talk in a moment about John Calvin. So uh, his influence, let's read another one. All Western uh, Christianity was become his debtor. He was, in, um, he was to be the father of much of that most uh, characteristic in medieval Roman Catholicism. He was to be the spiritual ancestry, no less of much in Reformation. Uh, that's a, uh, these are historians of uh, the, the uh, church or the Christian church. In uh, verse, uh, the next uh, quote is, His influence was powerfully felt in the church of the West for upwards of a thousand years and has continued unto this present day. So it's still the same today. Uh, and so there is a lot of influence in other words, Augustine is the one that came up with the idea that if a baby cries during a sermon, it's because they're totally depraved and, and rotten. So there's nothing good that they can do. 
And we read a lot of statements that Augustine said that we know that that's what he believed. And so uh, it is the devil causing that baby to cry. It is so depraved, there's nothing good. And even the mother, the mother of a child that loves and truly loves that baby and does everything you could see that there's love there, says, well, she has the wrong motive. So there's nothing good. You're totally, totally right. We'll get into more of that uh, a little bit later. But it all began with Augustine. The next is uh, John Calvin. He came in 1509 to 1564 A.D., and he uh, uh, systematized Augustine's philosophy. Okay, now, he, he put it into a, a, a system, uh, and here's what he wrote. Uh, it, its effects upon the Christian world has been so remarkable as to entitle it to be looked upon one of those books that have changed the face of society. Um, another quote. Uh, Calvin's influence extended far beyond Geneva thanks to his institutes. That is, he wrote uh, the institutes uh, uh, of the Christian church is what he wrote. And he... He really, you know, he put it in an order. He put it in a systematic thing. I'll talk a little bit more about that coming up pretty soon. Um, then um, Calvin's influence extended far beyond Geneva. He molded the thoughts and inspired the ideals of Protestantism of France, the Netherlands, Scotland, the English Puritans. His influence penetrated Poland and uh, Hungary, and before his death, Calvinism was taking root in southwest Germany itself. Uh, men thought his thoughts after him. He had a tremendous influence over that doctrine of Calvin. That's why it's called Calvinism. He was the major. Although, here's another one. He uh, was, Calvinism was imported and naturalized in America by the Puritans by 1620 and dominated the theology of the church life of New England during the colonial period. It found its ablest defender, Jonathan Edwards, the great theological metaphysician and revival preacher who may be called the American Calvin. So this is Jonathan Winters. Uh, and uh, that's the history of the Christian church by Philip Schaff. Now Calvin did not find found a denomination. But he did uh, set the basis for the Presbyterian Church, even today, has a lot of this uh, in, in here. Um, the next one we want to look at is uh, John uh, Arminius. Now, he disagreed with Augustine and Calvin. Uh, this was in Holland. And, of course, uh, uh, he wanted to modify Calvinism. And so uh, he asked the government of Holland uh, to call a national synod to discuss the matter. And yet, a year after his death, his followers drew up, so they, we'll talk about that discussion, uh, drew up the five points of Arminianism known as, well, what we call the protest. So they had the great protest. And so this is what the Synod of Dort was all about. And uh, so this actually took place in 1618. So a few more years went by, 
and uh, after the death of Arminius and then uh, the Synod of Dort. Um, this had a tremendous influence, uh, a sort of general cal- uh, council of Calvinistic churches. So this is the Calvinist fighting back to uh, Arminius who disagreed with him. And what Arminius was talking about, he believed in the sovereignty of God. That is, God is a supreme ruler. He's a supreme. He, uh, he, he made decisions and they, ha- they can't be changed. There are other things that are conditional, based on conditional, which is free will. And so he saw sovereignty and free will as being compatible. And that's how the Bible presents it as well. But a Calvinist sees it in opposition to one another. They say that God has lost control if you leave man to make a decision. So every decision, and that's how it gets into be why the elect is the only ones chosen and, and all the other uh, things. So this uh, synod of Dort, uh, Dort uh, here is the reply uh, to the her- what they call the heresies. This is Calvinism. So what did Calvinism uh, reply to? Uh, it asserted the total hereditary depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of all the regenerate. So all the saved. So here is what they had come up with. Uh, they come up with the five points of Calvinism. I wanted to call it the five pillars of Calvinism. Until I found out, well, the name didn't come by those who opposed Calvinism. The name came from the Calvinists themselves. In 1618, this tulip is what they come up with. So they they came up with that. Um, In what do we learn from the Calvinistic history? Well, one of the things we learn is powerful impact of a few men. And I read about almost the, the basic world, you know, all the uh, civilized world. And they, uh, they, they, they were influenced. It was an impact of just those few people that we met. And then that, that uh, uh, the, the uh, sin out of door. And so here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 reminds me of this, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. That's how false doctrine works. It can start in a little corner, and pretty soon it spread to, uh, all over the earth. This is what's, what's happened with Calvinism, as we read uh, from 300 A.D., to 1600 and you know 1300 years this is what has happened and now it is still being uh, held up today, taught today Uh, we're going to see it's not quite, uh, it's a little bit harder to um, to uh, see it but once you see the truth and all that you can see it, you can see it clear um here is, uh, so there is a need to contend for the faith, Jude 3. Uh, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. This is written to Christians. We are to contend earnestly for the faith. Each and every one of us that, that contend is to wrestle strongly. Now, it doesn't mean to start a riot. <laughs> 
does it mean to, you know, be mean and be rude. But it does mean to contend earnestly for the faith, searching the scriptures, pointing to the scriptures, uh, exposing the, the false doctrine in light of the scriptures. All of that what we already have uh, uh, looked at this morning. The third thing that it does, uh, it shows the need to expose and refute error. And so instead of waiting for it to be all over the world, they have to stop it in its place where it starts. Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. This is uh, one of the qualifications for an elder. But yet, elders are our example. And for each of us who then learn and are able to do that, exhort and refute those who contradict, then we are to do that. And so, expose and refute error. Uh, We need to test what we hear. And so, just because, so we learn all this from history. Don't just accept it. It doesn't matter who it comes from. Just test it. And uh, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I remember uh, a few years back, I was talking with somebody, and he was a religious person, and and uh, he found out I was a religious person, and so he, you know, we were like brothers. He called me brothers, and all of this uh, was going on. And I said, "Well, how could you call me that, and without testing me? And I, I can't call you that without testing you." And then I read to the scripture, and then he got really offended. I showed him that that scripture, First John four one, and that's what it tells us. We all have that responsibility to do. But no, he he didn't. Uh, uh, agree with that. He says, well, okay, I just, you know, accepted you. <laughs> you should accept me. That's basically what he said. We can, can do that. So it's a good teaching thing. I'm sure he's never forgotten that. And uh, I, I haven't, I don't know where he is right now, but uh, I hope somebody else comes along and plants and waters the seed. And that's all that we can do as we have opportunity. Um, Here are the five points again. Uh, total hereditary depravity. All are born sinners. You're born sinners. You know, uh, my mother-in-law was uh, a member of the Presbyterian Church. My uh, my wife, she was a member before, you know, when she was growing up. And they didn't know that this was in their uh, doctrine or creed book. But, yeah, they're born sinners. And so we talked to her about this and said, no, my church didn't teach that. Well, maybe they don't teach it anymore, but that's what's in there and what they stand for. And that's what the preachers have, uh, what they preach. But they don't, they don't, uh, you know, there's only certain things. Just whatever they have an itching ear to hear. But born sinners, that doesn't fly too well with just anybody. And uh, I don't think anybody would, would, uh, would agree with that. But that's what, that's what this doctrine teaches. Unconditional election, predestined to be lost or saved. Now, we believe in predestination. We're going to point that out in this series. But but not the Calvinistic predestination. 
And that's where they determine who's going to be lost, who's going to be saved. We're going to read statements that you can't add or subtract or diminish from that number. It's you're going to be lost or you're going to be saved, and that's it. And so then those that are going to be saved then are their limited atonement. Christ died only for the elect. He didn't want to waste the blood on anybody else that was out there lost. They only spend the blood on the saved. And the saved are those who are predestined. How do you know you're one of the saved or lost? Well, the irresistible grace. The Holy Spirit received only by the elect. So now then, this irresistible grace is so powerful and so great. Because you can't understand the word of God without that. You won't even change your heart. You won't do nothing. You're totally corrupt. So this irresistible grace, if you're one of the chosen ones that you're going to be saved, it's going to come upon you. It's going to be so strong. It's going to be in a um, uh, uh, supernatural way that you can't resist it. Now, now what that does is help prepare you to accept what they have as their theology. And so it receives its irresistible grace. But we know that irresistible grace can be resisted. It can be thwarted. It can be quenched. And so that's not uh, true. Perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. Now that's the one you probably hear more than any of them. Um, my grandfather, when he was on his deathbed, he, he, uh, I couldn't really get a word in and show, well, what about this passage or that passage? I tried it once, and he just cut me off and wanted to give this out because he's getting ready to die. He wants everybody to know what he believes. So I just sat and listened. And so he said, that's such a most wholesome, comforting doctrine. Yeah, if you can be saved and never be lost... Wow, that is comforting, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah, so it's a comforting doctrine. Now, the clincher is that my great-grandfather, his dad, was a member of the church. This was like in the early or late 1800s. Uh, he was born in 190-something, and, and he grew up in that. But yet now, this is where he went. He fell away when he was a teenager. And then when he decided that uh, his way was, wasn't working, it was too wild, it wasn't, you know. So he met a woman, and she came from what you call the, the brethren. And she came out of that group. And the brethren, they believed that if you baptize three times forward, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. What they taught, uh, it might have been more in line than many of the other denominations. But so when they got together, and she was able to straighten him up, then they became what you would call Baptist. Now, I grew up as a Baptist. This is filled with it. But I didn't know about born sinners. But that, that's, that, I think I remember something about that uh, when I go back. But so Baptists have a lot of it. We're going to read from uh, the, the Baptist manual uh, in uh, future lessons. So... Once saved, always saved. So here, here are the five uh, tulips. Now we we line up and have truth. This is the truth of it. Over here is total depravity, unconditional election. That forms tulip. But over here is the truth: total innocence. We're going to look at some passages that a baby is born pure. 
At what time did he become a sinner? No one's put a date or a time. Of course, a lot of denominations put on the age of 12. And so they think that's the age that you become an adult or uh, able to understand baptism. Some people can be baptized younger or older. doesn't matter. It depends on your upbringing and the background, how much you've learned when you're a wee child. And uh, some people are ready. I've seen eight, nine-year-olds. And they understand perfectly whether I, I, I can't, you can't question that. You just try to question it. But when they're set and they understand and they know, and they know the difference of sin and what mom and dad is telling you, they know the, you know, the difference. And so that's some of them are like that. So restricted election. And so it is universal atonement for everybody, but only those that come are the elected, the chosen ones, those in Christ. That is predestination. God chose not individuals, but he chose a group. And a group was in Christ, which would be his church, his body, his kingdom. And so it's restricted. It's uh, God is uh, 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 very restrictive, and he is very universal. Depends on what you're talking about. Universal atonement is for everybody. Thwarted grace, it can be thwarted. And the holiness lost. Okay, so now if you're saved, and once you're saved, you can never be lost, you can go out and be murdered. Uh, that's why there are some people that are in high places that, uh, that are part of these denominations that believe in some of these points that they can, you know, do whatever they want. Uh, they're saved. Okay, you can't be lost. You're saved. You can do whatever you want. Now, when I, uh, I was running this a little bit back to, my, uh, to Christy, my wife, and uh, she was saying, Dad explains how they preach people into heaven. And I, uh, I said, that might have a lot to do with it. Because they know that these people lived a life not in harmony with that, but yet when they die, they get all emotional, and they preach them into heaven. Because... They might have been one of the uh, chosen ones, the saved ones. He was saved at one point. He just got off track. And so there, there you go. It's, it's prevalent. We'll see it in everywhere uh, uh, as you do it. Now, it, before, I thought it was over here in the corner. I thought I had to go out and seek a Calvinist, you know, and then he's going to go through all this. No, it's permeated our society and, and it, uh, all over the world. Um, now, let's put on our thinking cap for a moment. If God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Calvinism cannot be true. Just that one scripture. It doesn't. Now, you got your thinking cap on? Yeah. I mean, but we need to ask other people to put on their thinking caps. And, and they're, they're not willing. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He's provided and he made hell for the devil and his angels. He, he, he didn't create it for that. But who's going there with the devil? Those who have rejected the, uh, uh, the, the word of God, they're going to perish because they did not come to repentance. Um, the Bible teaches, but not systematically set forth doctrines. 
Okay, now look. So the Bible teaches us from cover to cover. Okay. But the Bible does not systematically go through, okay, let's talk about the nature of God and hear all the things about the nature of God. That's what preachers do in servants. That's what people do in their creed books. They try to systemize things, but they leave a lot of things out. They look at it through certain glasses, I guess, uh, when they see it. So the nature of God, the deity of Christ. You have to go where? Over here, here's the deity here, here's the deity here, nature of God here, Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place. It's not systematically done. Uh, The personality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is taught a lot in the Old Testament. So when it came to the New Testament, those people in the New Testament day of Pentecost, they they had an idea of the Holy Spirit. They knew uh, when it was to come, and they knew they didn't have it for 400 years, and they knew it was promised that it would come on the day of Pentecost and, uh, and all of that. Uh, future rewards in heaven and hell and the church and, and uh, the worship and organization. You, you don't find it all in one spot. What do you have to do? You have to read the whole Bible from cover to cover. Now that's God's solution because otherwise we're going to have many questions as we just studied. I mean, we're all over the place. We'll have a lot of questions because we don't have all of the Word of God. We have just part of it. And so here is God's solution. Study and uh, to show yourselves uh, or be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling or rightly dividing the Word of Truth. So now then you study the book from beginning to end and do it few times and then you start getting it and then you can put it in a a systematic order in your head you know enough of the scriptures of where they are that what that doctrine is and all the other scriptures that you don't remember fit into that somewhere and that is uh, what we do so Psalm 119 and 160 what does it say the sum of thy word is true S-U-M not S-O-M-E S-U-M. You take all of the truth, all of God's Word. So that's why we study. That's why year after year after year, and then we get through the books of the Bible. We try to go through them uh, uh, as soon as we can in a shorter time period. Go back and do it. And each time we come to it, we see things clear. We... Uh, it, it really just puts already the stamp of approval of what we already believe. The last time we saw that passage, it doesn't change, but yet you have a deeper appreciation for it. Then we can start putting the other things together, and uh, and then uh, then your questions are minimized. You don't have the confusion. Here's another one: My word will not return to me void. Um, uh, without accomplishing what I desire. I just wrote part of it. Isaiah 55, verse 11. And that is uh, a good scripture. It doesn't return void. So we put the effort in. We're, that word does not return to God void. It's going to have an effect in our heart. It's going to please God. It's going to help us to realize our responsibility, realize what we should be doing, what we should be saying, how we should be conducting ourselves, how we should be serving one another, uh, how we should serve our enemies and uh, those outside the body of Christ, and how we conduct ourselves in general. So 
here it is. Now, here's another one. Put on your thinking cap. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's John uh, 10, uh, 27. Remember Matthew uh, 7, 21, 23? It says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And they will come to me on that day and say, uh, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works? Did we not cast out demons? Uh, did we not do things in your name? And the Lord's going to say, verse 23, I never knew ye that work iniquity. What did they not hear? They didn't hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd, we're the sheep, and the sheep follow the shepherd as they hear the voice of the shepherd. Then they follow him. And then there are no excuses to not hear the voice of the shepherd. There are no excuses that we should have at all. And then the last point just flies in the face of Calvinism and the lack of free will. Behold, I stand at the door of knock. Who is this? The shepherd. If anyone hears my voice, you're going to be, be will become the sheep. And opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him. And he with me. Now the Calvinists, they can't read that verse without putting a bunch of spin on it. Who's the anyone? The limited number. <laughs> Is that how we read it? I can't stand at the door. Is that what you want your Lord to be? A limited God? And we already know that he's not a God of uh, partiality. Jesus is not a partiality. Neither is God. But that's making partiality right here. Who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? Just like children on the playground, okay, and you're the captain of the team, and uh, your kids are coming up to you and saying, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. And they're all out there, yeah, pick me, pick me, pick me. No, I picked you last time. I'm pick somebody else. But that's what, the, that's what it's like. So you got to pick a certain amount. they got to pick. And, it's, you know, you don't even, you know, that's, that's what it's like. So... They, who's deciding who's picked and who's not? I mean, if it's all up to God, then and then God is beyond our thinking, how are they to know? There's only one way we know. That's the Word of God. Get away from the Word of God. Everything goes. Everything just flies. And you can just do whatever you want to do. You can justify anything you want to do. Justify it. You've got a good reason for doing it. Uh, in some way. And on that note, uh, that's the invitation. So what we've done, we hear, we hear, okay, so it's been systemized for us. you got to hear before you believe. And before, and when you believe, you, you have to believe before you know what to do or you've got to confess or, or repent. You can put those in different orders. It doesn't have to be. We usually put repent and then confess and then be baptized. And, of course, then we add another one. It's systematically, which is true, is then remain faithful all your life. So it doesn't end with baptism. It begins with baptism. Having heard, believed, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus as your Lord. Make him your Lord. Follow him as 
He is your master. We are his servants. And so if you need to respond to the gospel invitation by being baptized, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That is open for anybody. If you truly believe it, be saved. Once you're in that saved condition, you learn what you need to do to stay saved. Because we can uh, thwart, uh, quench the spirit or the word of God. And so we have the rest of our life as a saved individual to learn, to study, to practice what we have learned. And, uh, and we would be acceptable to him as we grow each day in Christ. And so that's the good news. You don't have to wait for a month until you have a certain length of knowledge. Take a test and all of that, and then we can baptize you. You can be baptized. You're willing to confess Jesus as your Lord, repenting of your sins. And you can do so this morning as we stand and sing the song we have selected. And for anybody else that needs to make your life right with God, or we need the prayer of the congregation, make those desires known as well. Thank you.